happy 2019. I almost said 2016. <laughs> that's not even remotely close. That's, <laughs> no, not, that's not even. Not at that's, all. That's not even like 2018. You might get a pass for. Nope. 2016. <laughs> You're getting old. I am. Your age is anyway, showing. Happy 2019. Happy 2019. We're back with like just a regular episode instead of the mini episode that we had last week. But it was a fun yeah. time. Oh, no, it was a fun time. I had fun. Did yeah, you have fun? Lots, I had fun. Yeah. Lots of other podcasts take breaks, but not us. Nah, fam. No, sir. Maybe next and we year. Were, we were together <laughs> on uh, New Year's. We were. We were together. We didn't and get any pictures of us just together. We, we no, got, we well, should have. Like, the We've whole got, group. like, well, were we sitting? I can maybe crop something. Were we sitting near each other, at least? In no. the one picture that we took? <laughs> no, we were not. No, we weren't even standing near each other? <laughs> nope. Fuck. Opposite sides. Fuck. It's because we we talk to each other every week, so we just wanted to get the fuck away from each other, but still keep up the, like, the facade that we actually like each other. Mm-hmm. We don't. It? We hate each other. No. Absolutely not. Hey, you. No, 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 no. Haley, you dumb bitch. You dumb bitch. We're literally standing right next to each other in this picture. In which one? The the one The one in the kitchen? Yes. I'm looking at it right now. All right. Fine. I'm going to post it. I'm going to post it so everybody knows what we're talking about because quite literally, like, we'll have to, we'll have to, I don't want to, like, crop out Gabby. I might just put, like, a sticker over her face, but we are standing Put, like, the skull and crossbones stickers over everyone's faces. Yeah. I will do that just because, like, I'm, I'm extremely, like, I'm, I'm offended. Anonymity. I'm offended. No, but also I'm offended because. I was thinking about the one where we were on the couch. I'm a millennial and I'm offended. The one where we were on the couch. What was that one? With, uh, the timer photo. This is very interesting for everybody. Yeah, I was going to say, we're going to need to cut (laughs) out, like, a lot of this. But don't worry, I will post the picture of us on new year's with no one else yep. but us just us doesn't matter and, about anybody else uh next month i'm gonna see you again too mm-hmm. because i'm going to california i went to her now she comes to me bitches yeah so uh there may be photos of us i don't know by the cecil hotel by i mean uh, you never know by, I, could kill, I could kill Haley in the La Brea tar pits like I could just push her in like we don't know you could we don't know there's gonna be there could be a mini California true crime sightseeing tour that happens there could definitely be one yeah but anyway this week um we took suggestions on our Instagram of what people wanted to see in the new year and somebody said kidnappings and missing person cases and I got like one of the most popular ones that I could think of, and that is the Elizabeth Smart kidnapping. Hi. Also, just a quick shout out to the lovely young lady, Alyssa, who suggested to us that we do more missing persons cases. Yes. Um, well, she's, she's not missing anymore. So this was she's like. She's not a, missing anymore. We're yeah, going to get to your up and kidnapping. vanish type cases too. Don't worry. But we're going to kick it off with like a cute, fun one that everybody knows. <laughs> cute, we... fun. Cute and fun. Super cute. Super fun. Super yeah. horrendous. But I mean, um, like, super happy ending. So. It is a good ending. Yeah. Like, she turned out to be a spoiler, badass. Spoiler alert for those who don't know it. Um, yeah. But yeah. Not the worst, not the best, but not the worst. No, but I would say it's probably one of, like, I don't know, top five most 
popular kidnapping cases that people oh, would know easily, of. Easily. I'd say that it's right up there with like Natalie Holloway and all of that. Yeah, like if you're thinking of like names, who's a fi- names one yeah. famous kidnapping case. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, but so we're gonna get into it. Hold on, I'm just turning the audio off on my phone because I know it's gonna go off. Yep, mine will go off definitely. What time is it? Mine's gonna go off probably in about half an hour telling me that I need to take my birth control. So everybody gets to All right. tune in for that. Well put your phone uh away from you so it's not into the microphone. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to, like, throw it somewhere. It's just I'm nervous that the cat is going to eat it. Yeah. So. Anyway. All right. So here, here's how we begin. Just a little bit about Elizabeth Smart. She was born on November 3rd, 1987 in Salt Lake City, Utah, to Ed and Louise Smart. Uh, she is one of uh, six kids. She had four brothers and one sister. And they were all raised as members of the LDS Church, the Church of Latter-day Saints. They were Mormons. The Book of Mormon. Wow. <laughs> Let's see if Elliot can pitch correct that. <laughs> he can't. I'm going to come out sounding like T-Pain, and I'm not even going to be mad about it. Perfect. Um, so she attended East High School in Salt Lake City. Eastside High, Wildcats. No, just east. Get your head in the game. <laughs> and she later went stop. on to receive I'm like a drugged within an inch of my life on cold medicine. Everybody, perfect, good. So it's a good thing you're not doing the episode this week. I quite literally, Michael said to me, we were supposed to record yesterday, but I was super sick. But he was like, "Yeah, you're not doing this week's episode, are you?" And I'm sitting yeah. there sounding like fucking Roz from Monsters. He's like, why? Why do you say that? What do you think? It's all right. I did my Gein episode while really sick. You did do your Gein episode while really sick, and you did it like a champ. Thanks. Anyway. Love you. Uh, so she went on to receive a bachelor's degree in harp performance at Brigham Young University. Yes, she did. Because she's crazy. Badass. I didn't know before doing all the research on this that she was that big on harp. But then when you watch like a documentary, there's a couple of like documentary pieces about her. They always show a picture of or like a little video of like some recital that she was doing probably. Okay. You know how you know how some of those like documentaries or like those like short pieces about like a missing person case, they always have like the same video clip over and over and over again. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um so that was one of them. So, uh it's the case starts in the first hours of June 5th, 2002. 14-year-old Elizabeth was sleeping in the bed that she shared with her nine-year-old younger sister, Mary Catherine, in their home in the Federal Heights neighborhood in Salt Lake City. And she was awoken by a man next to her bed who said, I have a knife to your neck. Don't make a sound. Get up and come with me. He threatened her... He threatened her family as he pulled her out of bed and the terrified Elizabeth stayed silent as she could to protect her little sister. So the guy must not have known that there were two people in this bed. I think um, that was, and that did end up being confirmed, was that he didn't know that his sis- that her sister was in there with her. Yeah. So Mary Catherine actually woke up during this point and was cowering under the covers, desperately pretending to be asleep so that she wouldn't be taken as well. And this scenario right here is literally, like, one of my top five scariest... Uh, oh yeah like one of the worst things that i could think of like home invasion i think we said in our like scary scary stories episode home invasions is like the thing that like scares me the most 
Like, yeah, Elliot no, was gone the other night. It. Elliot was gone the other night, and I was in the shower, and literally all I could hear was, like, somebody in my apartment while I was in the shower. And I was thinking, like, yeah, psycho like situation. Did I, ever, yeah. did I ever mention, I don't know if I mentioned it to you or on this podcast, the time that I thought that our old apartment in New Haven got broken into? No. Um, so I was very cute and very alone and had just gotten out of the shower, just like in every other horror movie. Uh-huh. And I opened up my door to my shower, I mean, to my bathroom, and all of the lights were out. Mm-hmm. And when I had gone into the shower, so the, sh- the bathroom light was on, the kitchen light and the bedroom light were on when I left. When mm-hmm. I came back, they were out. Ooh. So I was like, fuck that shit. And I texted Michael. I was like, you need to get home now. Like, you need to leave work, tell your boss I'm sorry, and get home now. And wasn't going to call the cops. Don't know why I wasn't like, I don't, it wasn't even like, I didn't think to myself, I'm not going to call the cops. It just did not occur to me to call the cops. Mm-hmm. Because then I texted a friend of mine who had recently moved about 30 minutes away and would not have been any help in the situation. And I was like, I think somebody's in my apartment. And so she stayed on FaceTime with me, on mute so that nobody could hear her. Yeah. And she basically was like, I'll be here if you get murdered. (laughs) Perfect. And I had nothing to arm myself with. And now I bring, because of this... Nothing even came of it, but I bring my mace into the bathroom with me whenever I take a shower and Michael's out now. Um, (laughs) Good. That's not the first thing I usually think of. Well, no, but because I was in the bathroom and I was, as far as I knew, somebody was in the bathroom, in my apartment and I was alone and I was naked and unarmed. Naked and afraid. Quite literally. I was going to say quite literally (laughs) naked and afraid. Like like you saw that the lights had... Like, the lights were turned off when you had left them on, but did, you didn't hear anything or notice anything missing? or I. It was a long stretch of hallway between the bathroom, and so I couldn't see into the living room that connects yeah. the kitchen and the bedroom. I couldn't see anything. I could just see the lights were out. Oh, okay. Because there was no glow coming down the hallway. Yeah. Um. So I, I, I grabbed a thing of... um bleach like a spray bottle of like windex bleach because that's literally all i had to to arm myself that was all i had to arm myself and it was almost out and so she was basically like i'll call the cops if you die and i walked out and the fucking cats (laughs) had been playing while i was in the shower and this is what i get because they're like little tiny voyeurs and they like to watch me shower so i thought that i was going to get one over on them by shutting them out of the the bathroom because then they can't watch me shower no because then they're like you know what you're gonna be a bitch we're gonna be two little demons and make you think someone's in the apartment they shut out i kid you not they climbed up onto the kitchen table and shut out the kitchen light and then went into my bedroom and shut the door so that you could not see that the light was still on little bastards these uh, like quite literally like little bastards i i i almost killed the cats that day michael got home it was like an hour and a half drive michael got home in an hour because i was like there's someone in the apartment and he found me just like so pissed at the cats you won't believe what your cats did (laughs) and it was it was the most terrifying but that that was my like aha moment i should bring a weapon into the bathroom with me in case this ever happens again yeah that's that's my most terrifying naked thing. and afraid 
Naked and Afraid. Naked and Afraid. Um. Anyway, so she, yes. After that tangent. <laughs> after that tangent, um, she desperately pretended that she was asleep so that she wouldn't be taken. And um, in an interview with Meredith Vieira, uh, that uh, she said that she believed that if she had been taken as well, no one would have known what would happen to them, which is True. horrifying and scary. She was nine. Yeah, but also to have that wherewithal as as a nine-year-old. Yeah, yeah, that's scary. Like, damn. Like, that's a lot to ask of a nine-year-old, but also she handled that like a boss. Yeah. So when the police arrived, she gave a detailed... Um, a detailed description of the kidnapper and she described him as a white man about the height of her brother charles who was five foot eight between 30 and 40 years old with dark hair and dark hair on his arms and the back of his hands uh she heard elizabeth ask why are you doing this and the man said something like for ransom so mary catherine Good. said that the man was soft-spoken even polite and calm and although he spoke quietly, Mary Catherine said that the voice sounded familiar, but she couldn't really place where she had heard it before. And um, when she thought Elizabeth and the abductor had gone, she started towards her parents' room, but narrowly missed being seen by the man and Elizabeth who were outside of her brother's room down the hall. So she crept back into bed and hid for an undetermined amount of time, possibly two hours. And okay. just before 4 a.m., she woke up her parents and told them what had happened. And they thought that she was dreaming and they didn't initially believe that Elizabeth was gone until they searched the whole house. She wasn't there. And then they saw the screen in the window in the kitchen was, had been cut. Okay, and cool. When Cute, they went nice. out, Yeah. So they went outside and they saw that there was a chair uh, propped up underneath the window. So someone had climbed over to climbed up the chair, cut the window, and then climbed into the house. And uh, a little side note, in one of the documentaries I was watching, uh, apparently the Smart's cousins, somebody tried to do the same thing to their house. Oh, wow. Like, I didn't know that. Like, a couple weeks later, there was a chair under a window with a, um, a screen cut, but nobody had gotten into the house because they had heard... Um, the noise before they got into the house yeah so that's weird and creepy yeah that's super creepy yeah so right after the kidnapping elizabeth was taken by her abductor brian david mitchell into the woods to an encampment outside of salt lake city where she was met by mitchell's partner wanda barzi and according to elizabeth's testimony barzi quote eventually just proceeded to wash my feet and told me to change out of my pajamas into a robe type garment and when i refused she said if i didn't she would have brian mitchell come and rip my pajamas off i put the robe on he came and performed a ceremony which would marry me to him and after that he proceeded to rape me nice Stand uh, yeah. up guy. great guy Mitchell claimed uh, to be an angel and also told Elizabeth that he was a Davidic king who would, quote, emerge in seven years, be stoned by a mob, lie dead in the streets for three days, and then rise up and kill the Antichrist, end quote. Cool. That's, cool, dude. That's something. That's some that's aspiration. Something. So Elizabeth, he insisted, was the first of many virgin brides that he planned to kidnap, each of whom would accompany him as he battled the Antichrist. So they're like his side piece. But nice. 14. Yeah. So some R. Kelly shit. Yeah. So to keep Elizabeth from escaping, she was shackled to a tree with a metal cable, which allowed her limited mobility outside of the tent that she occupied. And during her captivity, she was forced to take a new name 
and she chose Esther after Esther of the Old Testament. Yeah. And apparently Brian David queen. Mitchell. Yes. Who knows their veggie tales. <laughs> apparently Brian David Mitchell also called her Shears Job. I don't know. That's it's new to me. A stupid fucking name. Hey. Um, it was what later if one revealed of our during... listeners is named Shears Job? I don't even know if don't I'm pronouncing it right. Don't you cost us a listener. Don't, yeah, they're probably sitting there like, it's called Sarah. <laughs> yeah, but Her you also... Her name is Lucretia. You're taking the side of a, a psychotic um, Jesus type I, uh, I would say rapist? he's he's closer to the Antichrist than Jesus. Let's let's yes. get that straight he right away. He's, he, he was not he's wrong when he said Antichrist. Yeah. So it was later revealed during the court testimony that Mitchell repeatedly raped Elizabeth, sometimes multiple times a day, forced her to look dude. at pornographic magazines, and regularly threatened to kill her. That's the Seems way you like keep a, real a wife, stand-up right? Guy. Yeah. That's how I would treat my wife if I had one. If I had one. (laughs) Uh, He often forced her to drink alcohol and take drugs to lower her resistance and both starved her and fed her garbage. Elizabeth's abuse was facilitated with the assistance of Barzi, who Elizabeth would later refer to as the most evil woman she had ever met. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds gross. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, In September 2002, three months into her kidnapping... Mitchell and Barzi left Salt Lake City with Elizabeth to relocate to San Diego County, California, where they held Elizabeth in an encampment in a dry creek bed in Lakeside. Mitchell and Barzi relocated with Elizabeth several times to different encampments in San Diego County, often moving in the middle of the night. On February 12, 2003, Mitchell was arrested in El Cajon for breaking into a church and spent several days in jail over the incident. Nice. Uh, yeah. And that didn't stop anything. So I was, was going to say, and nobody did anything. Yeah. Um, Elizabeth accompanied Mitchell and Barzi in public on numerous occasions, but her presence was either obscured or unnoticed via various methods of concealment, which often consisted of her wearing a headscarf and veil over her face. Yeah. And in August 2002, around two months after the kidnapping, Mitchell devised a plan to leave Salt Lake City with Barzi and Elizabeth. Uh, possibly to Boston or New York to research potential places to relocate. Mitchell and Barzi visited the Salt Lake City Public Library, where the uh, public what library <laughs> library the library. Sorry, and that's the story uh, of how the podcast almost ended. <laughs> I was speaking too fast, and I was trying to read ahead. Um, Sure. Uh, there they were noticed by library patrons for their unusual clothing, each wearing full-length robes with veils concealing most of their face. Um, the patrons were... Con- uh, a patron was convinced to call the police after looking closely at Elizabeth's eyes. Yep. And a police detective arrived at the library. Which also, conf- awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Like, but amazing. Yeah. A plus, a plus detective work. That person, see, now you're doing it to me. Persian? That, per, that person at the library, <laughs> um, that person, like, is definitely a true crime fan, yeah, definitely. to say the least. It, based on just like, oh, their eyes look like Elizabeth Smarts. Yeah, I'm calling the fucking cops. But also, the detective is sh- shite because. Yes. Oh, yeah, no. He arrived at the library and confronted Mitchell, Barzi, and Elizabeth. However, um, he was deterred by Mitchell, who claimed that Elizabeth was his daughter and that they were unable to remove their veils for religious reasons. 
Bull and when questioned, yeah, when questioned by the detectives, uh, Barzi told Elizabeth to remain silent, and Mitchell stated that their religion prohibited women from speaking in public. Elizabeth would later claim that Barzi signaled to her not to move and gripped her legs under the table. She later recalled the incident saying, quote, I felt like Hope was walking out the door. I was mad at myself that I didn't say anything, mad at myself for not taking the chance. So close. I felt terrible the detective hadn't pushed harder. He just walked away, end quote. But, like, um, that's not her fault. I feel bad that she... Yeah, it's not that. her fault. And, like, like, if they were doing... Like, wearing that out of religious reasons, you can't just, like, there rip are, a veil off somebody's face. No, but there are, there is protocol set in place for stuff like that, I believe. And yeah. also, like, I, what makes me also a little bit annoyed is, I know that that's not his intention, like, that he's a psychotic dude. But, like, that really fucks things up for people who actually do wear veils for religious reasons. Yeah, exactly. And can't remove them. It's like, come on. Like, I know you're the Antichrist. You don't have to be this much the Antichrist. Yeah, well, it was his own religion that he was fucking making up. Yeah, um, I know, but still. So Elizabeth also visited grocery stores and restaurants, but went unnoticed. In fall of 2002, she attended a Halloween party with Mitchell and Barzi and was actually photographed wearing a veil and robe among Mitchell and other party guests. Good. Which is fucking crazy and i think nuts, um yeah in one of the documentaries i watched about it they talked to somebody who was like at the party or like somebody who hosted the party or whatever and uh they said like yeah me and my friend like went up to her and we're like are you okay like do you want anything can we help you with anything and uh i guess elizabeth was so scared that she just didn't open her mouth right well, which yeah i mean i can understand but also like at the point where she's at the library, like, obviously, I'm not in the situation, so you can't yeah. pass judgment on something you can never know. But, like, you're at a place where there's a police officer. If you right. speak up, if she just ripped the veil off and be like, I'm Elizabeth Smart. like, But she was also a kid. Yeah. Like, and between the way he groomed her in such a way to be so subservient and so quiet and such a yeah. good captive, and also the fact that she was a kid... So she yeah. didn't have, like, the... Like, if he tried to, like, pull a lot of this shit with an adult, he would not have gotten as far. Yeah, I guess. Like, as a, as a kid, especially as a kid in organized religion, you're taught to be quiet, you're taught to respect your elders, you're, like... And even if that person is kidnapping you and actively assaulting and raping you, I think there's still a little bit of that, like, but I have to do what they say ingrained in the back of your mind just because... You don't know the adult, whether they're crazy or not, still has some form of power. And you don't know yeah. what that power is. He could kill her. She could have been she could have just been more afraid of Mitchell than she was confident in the police at that point. Right. Like, like it's I not mean, she it's not like she was inside a police station. Right. And it's not like you don't know like the police could very well not take her seriously for whatever reason. I'm not saying that they wouldn't, but God forbid something could have happened and then she would have been stuck alone with this guy. He would have, knowing that she would have tried, that she did try to get away. Yeah, exactly. And now she's back. It could have been his, worse. Like, yes, he could have killed her. Yeah. Um, so jumping back real quick to the, um, 
the smarts in the investigation yeah. on June 6, 2002, the day after she was abducted. Ed and Louise went on, um, actually, I think it's Lois, Ed and Lois, went on TV, L-O-I-S? Yep, that's Lois. Sorry, I said that's Louise okay. real quick. And Lois went on TV to plead uh, for the kidnapper to return their daughter, and a massive regional search effort was started and involved over 2,000 volunteers each day, as well as dogs and planes. And flyers were circulated in surrounding areas and online, but after many months of searching, the community-led search efforts were redirected to other means of finding Elizabeth. Right. But no DNA or fingerprints were found at the site, and a search using bloodhounds was unsuccessful. And Mary Catherine's observations were of little to uh, of little use, and they were too broad. Mm-hmm. And police questioned and interviewed hundreds of suspects, and actually succeeded in returning several at-large criminals to prison, but did little to find Elizabeth. Yeah, yeah. So in October two thousand two, um, Elizabeth's sister suddenly remembered where she had heard the abductor's voice before, and. It was a man the family knew as Emmanuel, and he was an unemployed man who the Smarts had hired for a day's work, um, repairing the roof and raking the leaves. But it was like months prior to this, or mm-hmm. oh, I think almost a year prior. And the police were skeptical because of the short time that Emmanuel had worked for the family and the long time that had elapsed since, and the short time that Mary Catherine had heard the abductor's voice. However, the family had a sketch artist draw emmanuel's face from their descriptions and in february this drawing was released to the media and it was shown on larry king live and america's most wanted and the drawing was recognized little enough like we were little enough that this was pretty scary but yeah this is is 2002 yeah yeah, or by this time 2003 yeah um so the drawing was actually recognized by the family of brian david mitchell and they gave police contemporary photographs of him on March 12th, 2003, Mitchell was spotted with two women in Sandy, Utah, by a couple uh, that had seen his photos on the news. And the women were Elizabeth Smart, disguised in a gray wig, sunglasses, and veil, and Wanda Barzi. Elizabeth was recognized by the officers during questioning, and Mitchell and Barzi were arrested. And I think Good. in one of the documentaries I watched, um, they interview Elizabeth Smart about this moment, and she says, like, she was still, like, like two police officers had taken her aside and were like, like, you can tell us who you are. Like, are you okay? And she still had a hard time like coming out and saying who she was because she was still like so groomed. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like a Stockholm syndrome. She didn't have any uh, feelings toward him. Yeah. Yeah, She didn't have any alliance to him, but it was just like, like, she was so scared. Yeah. Yeah. So now getting into the whole, Uh, trials and sentencing and everything which was a whole big fucking deal so the court requested that mitchell undergo a competency evaluation based on his claims of being a religious prophet and while awaiting the evaluation mitchell was incarcerated in the utah state hospital dr stephen golding was a psychologist hired by the defense and he distinguished between zealous belief and delusion and he concluded that mitchell's beliefs transcended zeal and were in fact delusional and it was in Golding's opinion that Mitchell was not competent to stand on trial as a result of his delusions. The court, however, superseded Golding's opinion and found Mitchell to be competent in 2004. 
Plea negotiations subsequently began between the defense and the prosecution. The defense was willing to plead guilty to kidnapping and burglary for a 10 to 15 year sentence on the condition that Elizabeth wouldn't testify. So they were relying on her not testifying, talking about the sexual assault, right? which was a higher sentence. And then the prosecution refused to drop the sexual assault charge against Mitchell and no agreement was reached. On October 15th, 2004, plea negotiations had still not determined an agreement, and the defense appealed as late as October 21st, asking the prosecution to rethink their position in terms of what they were offering Mitchell. Up until this point, the defense didn't highlight a breakdown in competence as the contributing factor to why the plea negotiations had fell apart, and they cited the lack of coming to an agreement as being the result of uh, the sole discretion of their client. The appeal was subsequently rejected, and Mm -hmm. Dr. Jennifer Skeem, a psychologist who was initially stated that uh, Mitchell was competent, interviewed Mitchell again per the defense's request in February 2005. After this interview, Heidi Bucci, Mitchell's attorney, filed a brief statement that Mitchell was no longer competent to stand on trial. So it keeps going back and forth and back and forth whether he can stand on trial is he delusional is he uh just a really good liar um so this it's 2005 now she was abducted in 2002 yeah so mitchell began to act out in court while the jail staff observed no change in his behavior and thought process so he would just freak out in court but once he was in jail he was normal again yeah because he was a mastermind yeah, and ultimately... And I use that term very loosely. It's not admirable. <laughs> yeah. I heard that. Uh, what? I heard your alarm go off. It did? Ultimately, Judge Judy Atherton... Yes. I heard Wait. it go... Burr. I I didn't hear anything. I think I'm congested. Like, I know I'm congested, Probably. but I think I'm, like, deaf from congestion. Is it still <laughs> going off? No. All right, so after that brief recess. Uh, So the judge agreed with the defense, asserting that Mitchell's behavior reflected psychosis, and the defendant re-entered the Utah State State Hospital on August 11th, 2005, and remained there until 2008. While While in the hospital, no staff experienced Mitchell as being paranoid in a pathological sense. Because he was a fucking asshole. Yeah, in February, yeah, in February 2006, a bill went before the Utah legislature to allow prosecutors to apply for forcible medication on defendants to restore their competence to face trial. Permission to forcibly medicate Wanda Barzi was also sought, relying upon the U.S. Supreme Court's decision in Cell versus United States in 2003, which permits compulsory medication when the state can demonstrate a compelling interest is served by restoring a person's competence and that medication would not harm the person or prevent him or her from defending themselves. So they're saying that if they medicate this person, they're going to be competent to stand on trial and it's going to, it's going to close the case at this point. Right. So it's, it's been way too long going back and forth and back and forth between okay, he's fine when he's at the hospital, but when he's in court, he's delusional. Yeah. So they want to medicate Barzi and Mitchell to be like, okay, so they're medicated, they're competent to stand on trial, they're not delusional, they're 
they're within their own minds and they can defend themselves. They're not yes. like in a fog. They're um, behaving themselves. Yeah. In June 2006, a Utah judge approved the forcible medication of Barzi so that she could stand on trial. In uh, On December 18th, 2006, Mitchell was again declared unfit to stand on trial in the Utah state courts after screaming at a judge during the hearing to forsake those robes and kneel in the dust. Cute. Yeah. Doctors have been trying to treat Mitchell without drugs, but prosecutor Kent Morgan said after that scene in court that a request was likely to be made for permission to forcibly administer drugs. On December 12th, 2008, it was reported that Mitchell could not legally be forced to medicate, be medicated by the state of Utah to attempt to restore his mental competency, uh, also claiming that it was, quote, unnecessary and needlessly harsh, end quote, and therefore a violation of the Utah state constitution, I'd say uh, kidnapping, raping, and marrying an underage girl is unreasonably harsh. Unnecessary and needlessly harsh? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, so they had to prolong the trial proceedings. And the case was eventually transferred to federal court on October 10th, 2008. Issues of competency proved to be the crux of the case, as we have been learning. And the court held um, a hearing on Mitchell's competency on October 1st, 2009 through December 11th, 2009. So they had like a whole month, two months almost to to say, is this guy good? Or is he not good? Yeah. I just, I don't understand like what he thinks he's getting from continuously acting out to prolong this trial like he's going to i don't know if he's that delusional that he doesn't think that he'll ever like have to stand trial i don't know or like like, he's being held at a a state hospital and then if he gets convicted he's just being held at a prison yeah i don't know is the food better like what is the difference (laughs) um i i don't know and i just i don't understand and maybe that's because i'm sane and he's not but yeah so, on one occasion during a hearing in October, it was reported that Mitchell burst out singing hymns in court. During Good. one of these hearings, yeah, and Elizabeth was at these hearings. She described Mitchell as, quote, smart, articulate, evil, wicked, manipulative, sneaky, slimy, selfish, greedy, not spiritual, not religious, not close to God. Extremely loud, incredibly close. <laughs> yes. Uh, competency evaluations conducted by Dr. Noel Gardner, Dr. Wellner, and Dr. Richard DeMeyer were presented at the hearing, and Dr. Gardner maintained that he believed Mitchell was fully aware of his actions and was attempting to deceive the court. Oh, fucking, 100%. Obviously. No yeah. fucking shit. Uh, Dr. Michael Wellner, another witness in the case, reviewed 210 sources and 57 separate interviews, including Mitchell, his wife Wanda Barzi, his family, and Elizabeth Smart. The court credited Dr. Wellner with presenting a 206-page report Wellner suggested that Mitchell was competent to stand trial and diagnosed him with non-exclusive pedophilia, antisocial personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, and alcohol abuse in a controlled environment. Wellner believed that Mitchell was highly manipulative and used his religious expression as a way to coax people into overlooking his high function and dismissing him as delusional. While experts for the defense, including Dr. DeMeyer, a clinical psychologist, did not dispute these diagnoses, they were uh, they maintained that he had 
concurrent fixed delusional disorder, believing that Mitchell was mentally ill at the time of his crime, and this greatly impaired his judgment. Mitchell was found to be mentally ill per the defense and deemed competent to stand on trial on March 1st, 2010. Jesus. Yeah. So long after the actual crime happened. Again, and I don't understand. If somebody has a better, like, grasp of psychology than either of us clearly do, please feel free to reach out. I just don't understand what he thinks he's accomplishing by prolonging this by five fucking years. But he just wants to... He just wants to get one over on people. It doesn't matter where he's being held. Just that he wants to prove that he's in control. I guess. Like, I he's holding like, up this I don't whole like it, fucking trial. I guess. Yeah. And I, I think I remember from an episode of Martinis and Murder where they were talking about, um, like, competency to stand on trial and stuff. And they interviewed somebody. And it's really, really fucking hard to be called unfit to stand trial. Yeah. Like... And he got called unfit to stand on trial multiple times. So he is a master manipulator. Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you can even tell that not just from how he manipulated everybody during the trial, but how he manipulated Elizabeth into literally not speaking up to a cop. Yeah. So to end this this sentencing. Like not actually because you, but like fuck this guy. (laughs) <laughs> Wanda Barzi eventually pleaded guilty and was sentenced to concurrent terms of 15 years in state and federal prison. However, due to delays and mental evaluations, it took Mitchell's case almost eight years to come to court. And Mitchell's trial began on November 8, 2010. The defense acknowledged that Mitchell was, in fact, responsible for the crimes, but contended that he was legally insane at the time of the crime and should therefore be found not guilty by reason of insanity. The insanity defense for Mitchell was struck down on December 10th, 2010, when the jury found him guilty of kidnapping and transporting a minor across state lines with intent to engage in sexual activity. U.S. District Judge Dale Kimball sentenced Mitchell to life in prison without the possibility of parole, and Mitchell is currently serving his sentence at the United States Penitentiary um, in Tucson, and it's a high-security federal prison. So he's never right. yet now. But nope. on the other hand, Ugh. somebody don't get something that's been in the news like within the last week. I'm so mad. Mm, I mean, this happened in September, month. but yeah, uh, it actually happened in September, but it's been getting a lot of traction recently oh God, because of go- yeah, September 19th. She, I'll talk was about she it. granted in September? no, she got out on September 19th. So we're talking the about Wanda like, Barzi. Yeah. The past like six months have been just like a blur. Yeah, right. So Elizabeth Smart said the Utah Parole Board's decision to release Wanda Barzi was surprising and incomprehensible. Barzi wasn't expected to be released for at least another five years. However, the Utah Board of Pardons and Parole said it hadn't credited her sentence in the state system with the time that she served in federal prison. As such, Barzi, now 72, was released from prison on September 19, 2018. Elizabeth said in a statement, quote, it's, incompre- it's incomprehensible how someone who has not cooperated with her mental health evaluations or risk assessments and someone who did not show up to her own parole hearing can be released to our community. I appreciate the support, love, and concern I've already, uh, that has already been expressed and will work diligently to address the issue of Barzi's release, as well as to ensure changes are made moving forward to ensure this doesn't happen to anyone else in the future. Uh, She went on to say, I believe she is still dangerous. 
Through my sources, I've heard that she's still carrying around this book of revelations that Brian Mitchell wrote, that he should kidnap me and not just me, but six other young girls and that we'd live as his wives. Clearly, she hasn't let it go. End quote. What the fuck? Yeah. Like, so she's still delusional. And apparently she wasn't taking, she wasn't following her mental health um, regime that she was supposed to do. She was supposed to be taking medicine. She's refusing. Then why would you? Why is she let out? I have no yes. clue. Yeah. So <laughs> this is funny. On her first night out of prison while staying at a hotel, Barthi belted out religious scriptures and loudly praised Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism. Um, this was reported uh, to TMZ oh, by a guest in the room next did. door. Yeah. So a hotel guest called the cops about Barzi's bizarre behavior, but when the officers tried to call the complainant back, no one had answered. That's what law enforcement said to TMZ. Also, quick quick aside, where is mm. she getting the money to stay in a hotel? Oh, we'll get there. Oh, uh, fucking great. I'm glad I asked. I'm really glad yeah. that I asked. You know, so like, they I'm didn't send glad. a unit to check it out. Um Police were also called for media disturbance outside the hotel. Responding officers asked the reporters to step back. Barzi's lawyer said that she had been diagnosed with several mental illnesses. Fucking clearly. Um, no shit. Yeah. So details of this crime still horrify Barzi's niece, Tina Mace, who said, quote, it just makes you ill. How could anyone do that? End quote. Uh, like Elizabeth, Mace is alarmed by the surprise announcement from the Utah authorities that they had miscalculated her aunt's sentence and that she would be released from prison. She said, quote, from what I know, no family can take her in or would take her in, end quote. Federal agents actually found a place for Barzi to live when uh, she starts her five-year supervised release, which is now. Um, the That was reported by Eric Anderson, the deputy chief U.S. probation officer for Utah. So I believe it's actually standard practice that the um, the government will pay like for like the the first night out of prison. I okay. think that's true because that like obviously you're getting out of prison, you have fucking nowhere to go unless your family's going to take you in. Yeah, but I don't think. But if no one, no, if no one like claims you, <laughs> yeah, then I think they have to help you out a little bit. I'm pretty sure. If somebody is studying criminal justice and knows this, then let me know. I guess. Um, yeah. So, the, I don't know if this is the place that the uh, the probation officer of Utah found for her to live, but um, he declined to comment whether she'll be in a private home or facility. He just said she will not be homeless. Um, so, according to Inside Edition, Barzi has moved to a modest home in Salt Lake City, just 600 yards away from Parkview Elementary School. I just, yeah, I just heard about this. Yeah. What the, like, um, In ow, an interview ow, with Associated ow. Press, Elizabeth said, quote, every possible caution and protection should be taken when it comes to protecting our children. Whether a person is deemed a current threat or if they have a history of sexual violence, prudent measures should be taken, including housing them as far away f as possible from schools, families, and community centers. End quote. Like, what the um, fuck? Like, yeah. Inside Edition tried to speak to Barzi, but she declined to answer, and a male companion with her told Inside Edition that, quote, she cannot possibly talk to anyone about anything, end quote. And he attempted to push all the cameras away. at the top of her fucking lungs. I guess. However, one of Barzi's new neighbors defended her, telling Inside Edition, quote, she's not hurting anybody. They're not kids allowed on this property anyway. She keeps to herself. Just leave her alone, end quote. Are you not Authorities, aware of what she's done? I don't know. 
Authorities say she's not breaking any rules by living so close to a school. I don't know how. I that don't know that is I agree. Possible. Yeah, I don't agree. I'm very. Don't you much have to be not agreeing? Can't you not be within like a mile? Disagree. Well, but remember Carla Homolka, who will also talk about Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka. There was a similar thing that happened with her last year, or maybe it was the year before, where mm-hmm. she got caught volunteering at a school. And she was doing it under a pseudonym and people figured it out and they were like, what the fuck? And they made her stop. So I don't know where the line should be drawn. Also, that's Canadian and we're in the U.S. Yeah. But like we talked about um, in the Sylvia Likens case and like all of the... all the, the the siblings like helped to torture teacher. her yeah one, one one was a teacher under a fake name like yeah. how do you hire her to a school district she used a fucking fake name sorry i'm being real you're not gonna vet this stuff but not even that like bringing it back to the neighbor could she have given the neighbor a fake name i don't know could she because have changed apparently, her name upon moving out but people still know no, who the fuck she is because she's nuts I didn't include it in the in the outline, but um, she had like a, various aliases that those names are also on the sex offenders registry. Like her real oh, name wow. and all of her aliases are on the sex offenders registry. So unless she fucking came up with something new, but also I don't see how this neighbor could think she's anyone else. Yeah, no. Like I mean, so if unless you this person that has no so clue, just remotely. Yeah. yeah. If you so, watched the news. I don't know. But that's stuff that's happening, like, right now. This was reported maybe f- four days ago. Yes, that she was living near school. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we'll do little updates on that if we hear anything. But that's fucking crazy. That's... Um, God damn. So jumping into pop culture stuff, uh, there's a couple books. Elizabeth actually wrote uh, two books. The yep. first one was uh, My Story, and that's all about the uh, kidnapping and the captivity and everything that she went through, which is crazy. And mm-hmm. then there's um, a second one called Where There's Hope, and I think that's everything that has come after. Yep. So, like, her getting married, having kids, um, doing her activism, which we'll talk about. And yep. then there was a book written, I think, by her uncle or by, like, another family member. It's called In Plain Sight, The Startling Truth Behind the Elizabeth Smart Investigations. And um, there was actually a movie based on his book. And that one was, hold on. Which one was that? Oh, it was The Elizabeth Story. And that was, um, Mm -hmm. came out in 2003. It's got an audience score of 44% and Google score of 82%. And it was based on the book written by Tom Smart and it was nominated for three Young Artist Awards in 2004. And the film first Wait, aired on CBS. Was, when was the film aired? Uh, I was getting, I was going to get to it. The, fir- the film first aired on CBS on November 9th, 2003, just eight months after Elizabeth was found. But the book was published after? Uh, no, it was, be- the, the movie was based on the book. I know, but I, that's where I'm confused. So the book was about in plain sight, like she was like hidden in plain sight. In plain sight, the startling truth behind the Elizabeth Warren investigation. So I think he was, he, the book is about, I haven't read it, but I think the book is about um, kind of the criticism a little bit of law enforcement and um, what uh, they went through on the side of looking for her, not what she went through. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I got confused because... I got I got my dates confused. I'm gonna I'm gonna level here. And I thought 
I forgot that she went missing in 2002 and was found in 2003, and I was like, wait, so then how did they publish this book before they found her? Because I thought they found her in 2004. Yeah. And I'm just just a dumb hoe. I don't know if this is the one that the movie is based on, because Elizabeth's father wrote a book called Bringing Elizabeth Home, A Journey of Faith and Hope, and that might be the one that this is based on. But... I don't remember. But either way, I'm sure they're all a good read. Yeah. And then there's one more book called Held Captive, The Kidnapping and Rescue of Elizabeth Smart. And that's by Maggie Haberman and Janine McIntosh. Mm -hmm. And it's the only one that's not related to Elizabeth Smart. Yep. There was also... Oh, go ahead. There's another uh, movie called I Am Elizabeth Smart. And it got an audience score of 60%, Google score of 94%. And that came out in 2017. Yeah, and that came out on the 15th anniversary of her abduction, and it was a Lifetime movie, uh, like a made-for-TV Lifetime movie, and it was narrated and produced by Elizabeth Smart, and it tells the kidnapping from her own perspective. That's incredible. Also, I just slammed my hand into the desk. It's fine. Oh, no. I'm fine. I just, I saw it pick up massively on my end on the recording, so if that doesn't go away... That's why. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, her story was also featured on a bunch of TV shows. Uh, in 2013, uh, an episode of 2020 called Rescued. Uh, 48 Hours in 2009, an episode called Answered Prayers. Um, there was one called Notorious Elizabeth Smart, The Long Way Home in 2006. She was in Dateline NBC in 2010. And she was also featured on many TV shows as an activist, including Nancy Grace, Larry King Live, The Oprah Winfrey Show, Good Morning America, The Dr. Oz Show, The Today Show, and Access Hollywood Live, to name a few. So, yeah. So I'm going to get into her activism now, but she uh, has changed everything that she's wanted to do since uh, the kidnapping. She, on March 8th, 2006, she went before Congress to support. sexual predator legislation and the amber alert system which we have talked about mm-hmm. on july tw- 26 2006 she spoke after the signing of the adam walsh act which we'll talk about in an adam walsh episode in may 2008 she traveled to washington dc where she helped present a book you're not alone published by the u.s department of justice which has entries written by her as well as four other recovered young adults on October 27, 2009, Elizabeth smoke at, s- smoke. <laughs> Elizabeth spoke at the 2009 Women's Conference in California, hosted by Maria Shriver, on overcoming obstacles in life. In 2011, she founded the Elizabeth Smart Foundation, which aims to support um, the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force to educate children about violent and sexual crimes. And the foundation is in the process of merging with Operation Underground Railroad to combine efforts in the fight against human trafficking. Nice. She's, uh, she's genuinely, like, if anybody takes, like, even a second to look into her, like, there was a really good Vice article where they followed her around for mm-hmm. a day. She's constantly, like, super busy, super involved yeah. in everything, like, such a cool activist, but she's also, like, super involved at home with her family, with her children. Yeah, I think she has, like, three kids. Yeah, she has something like that, but she also, like, has started talking about religious teachings regarding women and sex, because it I'll was, get to it was, that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, so, before that... Sorry, I'm taking over it's the all right. episode. <laughs> uh, 
On July 7, 2011, she announced uh, it was announced that she would be a commentator for NBC, a, sorry, ABC News, mainly yep. focusing on missing persons. On May 1st, 2013, in a speech at a human trafficking conference at Johns Hopkins University, Elizabeth discussed the need to emphasize individual self-worth in fighting human trafficking and the importance of dispelling cultural myths surrounding girls' loss of value upon sexual contact. Yeah. Having been raped by her captor, she recalled the destructive impact of exposure to sexual education programs where a sexually active girl is compared to a piece of chewed gum. She mm-hmm. said, quote, I thought, oh, God, I'm that piece of I'm that piece of gum. Nobody rechews a piece of gum. You throw it away. And that's how easy it is to feel like you no longer have worth. You no longer have any value. Why would why would it even be worth uh, screaming out, why would it make a difference if you were rescued? Your life has no value, um, which is horrible. Yeah, yeah. and, and uh, whose right mind decided that they were like, oh, yeah, it's a good idea to put the rape victim in the sex ed class where we talk about how women are worthless after they've been had yeah, sex exactly. with them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, after people have had sex with them. Yeah. Like, who whose it's bright garbage. idea was that? Yeah, uh, she was featured in the, um, like, that, that quote, and that moment was featured in um, the, uh, what is it called? Last Week Tonight with John yeah. Oliver, where he did this his big thing about sex education. And he goes into, like, a lot more detail on that. But, like, yeah, that's, that's super fucked up. Yeah, no, like, we <laughs> How could you say fucking, that to somebody? How do you not think about that? Like, how does that not cross your mind? Yeah, that's fucked up. As a teacher, so, as an administrator, like... Yeah. Um, She went on to ask that listeners educate children on having self-worth and how to avoid becoming a victim. In February 2004, Elizabeth testified before the Utah State House of Representatives in favor of HB 286, which was a bill that would create an optimal circulation for use in Utah schools to provide training on child sex abuse prevention. In early 2015, Elizabeth was featured in a video produced by Faith Counts in which she explained how her religious belief sustained her throughout her throughout her ordeal and helped her to heal. And this is a weird one. A Rhode Island legislator, uh, Chris Sheever, Siever, um, he proposed a state bill that would require all computers to have a pornography filter and branded the bill the Elizabeth Smart Law. However, in March 2018, her spokesman has denied that she has any relation to the proposal, and her lawyer sent a cease and desist letter to demand him to stop using her name. Honestly, yeah. Yeah. Good. Because that has... You go, girl. That doesn't really have a lot of uh, relevance to what happened to her. Yeah, no. And also, like, again, she's been through enough. Yeah, right. Leave her the fuck. Keep her name out your mouth. Keep a name out your mouth. <laughs> uh, anyway, so that's it. That's God. the whole thing. What a badass. She's a badass. She's a badass. Yeah, there's so like, many. Like, like the. I just named like the two movies about her, but there's like. Even if you go on YouTube, there's like a million like small documentary pieces about her. She's so interesting. Yeah. No, she's. She's genuinely not even just interesting because of what she went through but also i i I don't think i don't think i could ever understand or be able to be as 
outspoken and active, like yeah. rather rather than shying away from it, trying to forget it and go on to live a normal life. She has which made I completely this understand. Yes, it's a completely understandable reaction, and it's probably anyone should be able to do that. that. I would take yeah, because she she went in a, the complete opposite direction and immediately went into just I don't even want to call it activism mode. She just she became. So much more than she became. She a became victim. like a public she figure. She became a survivor. Yes. Yeah. Like there's. Uh, I just finished reading uh, J.C. Lee Dugard's book, which oh my oh god, god, fucking amazing. She she was captured for 18 years. Yeah. So when she was saved, she um, she kind of got a house in the woods and like stayed away from people which yeah fucking obviously you want to be with your you want to be with your family you don't want to like immediately start giving interviews and stuff but um, yeah. part of her healing process was writing the book and i'm sure part of elizabeth's healing process was writing the book um but she just uh jumped on the um activism and what she could do for other people very very quickly after being rescued right like oh uh, it's just yeah her her fortitude and her strength are just incredible. Yeah. Anyway, we'll have all of that info and links and everything on the website, and we'll I'll also try to post yes. like a bunch of um, updates on the Barzy stuff. Yes, and you can go to her. our Instagram and you can see our cute faces from New Year's. Yeah. It'll be you a great time. Our sheer bliss in being. We're just reunited. memeing it up on that Instagram. You know what? You know what? I don't need you to attack me like this. I'm not attacking you. I love you. I feel attacked. Thank you for loving me. No. Attack me with love. We might do... Uh, ooh, that might be fun. Don't quote me on this, but we can try to do an Instagram story of um, places in California. Oh, I'm fine with that. Of true crime places. Yeah. As we drive around. We should also... Can we talk real quick about what we got each other for Christmas? we can it's a fun time and we can potentially okay. do an unboxing not an unboxing because we already it's not an unboxing because it. yeah we unboxed yeah. it like a week ago yes anyway so what did you get from on me Instagram. i got some soups cute trade true crime <laughs> trading cards i can't yeah. speak but i love them very much i'll and link the etsy below where i got them yes thank you thank you um and like i just i'm very excited i'm gonna get myself a binder and i'm gonna be like those kids with their pokemon cards and i'm gonna put them inside you mean like me i was one of those children i i wasn't really allowed to like have pokemon cards they were banned if you get the binder i'll bring you the insert pages because i think i have those at home yeah that'd be amazing (laughs) thank you because i like in my grammar school growing up we weren't allowed to have them because it caused like actual like fights good yeah and what else did you get and then i got a little wait Wait. Wait. I almost called it your calendar. I almost spoiled your what you got from Elisa. I don't know. Does that count? Yeah, it does. Okay. Then never mind. But what did you get from me? And then I got a soups cute, like, true crime game with, like, because it was a similar shape. I almost oh, that was from my thing. mom. Oh, <laughs> shit. I thought that was from you. I thought your mom, oh, shit. And then I got a true crime pin. Yes, which we have posted a picture of. We did? Yes, we posted it like a while ago. I we can repost it, and I'll post the um can we the place where it? I got it from. Can we? Repost it's the it? True Crime Club pin. I didn't realize that we posted the pin. We did. We posted it like a million we years ago. The pin? 
Forensics and Flowers, I think, is the handle. Yeah, that very we'll tag well could them. be it. We pinned we'll the pin. Them. We did. I bought it pin, when pin, we pin, pinned. Pin, 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 pin. I, I bought it when we, uh, when we posted that. That makes I, a I've lot had of that, sense. I've had that pinned for you for like a million years. I thought you were just because it's in like when I'm in any true crime group, like that pin is in like posted by somebody at least at, at least once at some point. So that's what I thought you were referring to when you were like, do you recognize it? I was like, no. yes, it's fucking everywhere. Yeah. Not that I don't love it. All right. And then what about the what about the game my mom gave you? Yes, she gave me a 30 second. So it's like 30 second crimes. You have to solve it in 30 seconds. Very cute. And it's soups cute, and I love it very soup's much. Cute. Was soup's that all the, the crime stuff you got? I think that is all the crime stuff I got. Unless oh. that was a leading question, and I got something else, and I'm blanking. No, I on don't it. think so. I'm trying to remember, but I only gave you the, the, the cards and the pin. I got from our social media manager Elisa. She got me a crime a day calendar. It's one of those like every single day you like rip off a little piece, and it like it tells you like a crime. I don't think it's like a crime from that day because I haven't really been. No, because the, the one t- the one that you were just telling me about, which we'll talk about on another episode, so I'll keep it quiet, um, did not happen in early January. It happened in December. Oh, yes, yes. I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, so... It's a secret. Really Everybody gets to find out soon. I've been, like, so proud of myself because every single time I rip one off, I'm like, I know this case already. <laughs> you're, such a, you're such a... I'm not going to know 365 of them, but we'll see. You're such a know-it-all bitch. I love you so yeah. much. Um, you got me. Yes, this is what I'm excited about. <laughs> okay, so this I'm going to set the scene. So I open it, and it's a tube. It actually was sent to my house, like, three weeks before uh, New Year's. Yeah, I and know. I, it's just a tube that says don't open until New Year's Eve. Yes, I literally put on the address thing, I put Haley's name, and then for like the second, like you got two lines for the name or the, or the company or something, and yeah. I just put do not open until New Year's Eve. <laughs> that's hilarious because I totally would have. And I would have been so why. confused. Well, because I, so, said to, I said to Elliot, I was like, can you intercept, intercept it? Intercept it? No. And he was like, we're both going to be home on Saturday. And I was like, fuck yeah. you. So I open Love it, you, and um, there's a, a an art print inside, and it's of a, a gorgeous. What is it? Is it lily. a lily? It's a lily, or yeah. So I it's open it. It's a lily with some it's dewdrops. A, it's purple. We'll it's post a sketch. A picture. Yeah, it's like a like a colored pencil sketch of a lily, and I'm like, wow, this is very pretty. And then I look in the right hand corner, and what is the name that's in the corner? <laughs> it says Arius. She got me a Jody Arius. <laughs> Print. original original which is definitely being hung up and i want it in my bathroom because flowers seem like a bathroom type thing yep but it's gonna be fucking phenomenal i'm gonna tell everyone that a crazy murderer drew it i wish i could have bottled up or taken a picture of your reaction because you quite literally just looked at me and you were like is this <laughs> and everyone else in the room was just like everyone else was uh, like except for elliot and michael because i warned elliot ahead of time and i was obviously telling michael and both elliot and michael thought it was super weird i'd just like to put that out there that i was getting my this mom for thought you. it was weird too yeah they all thought it was super weird i showed but- it to her today when she came over <laughs> but no um, and so everybody's it. like what the fuck and and it, i told you i needed well, more art i know i know I you were talking about art. it while we were there and i was like oh just you wait Ooh, just you wait yeah anyway that's what i got i think those are the only crime related things that i got yeah yes yes it is yes we love a, each other very much 
just a wonderful Christmas. Mo was great. Mo he, was great. Uh, the podcat. He sat in so many boxes. He was very happy with himself. Loved his boxes. He adored the tree. Yes. I was like, you guys should keep it up all the time because he, he just was super loves this into thing. the tree. When we came in to visit him, he just likes he was drinking just, the he pine was water. Under the tree, just under yes. it. Yes. Just hanging. Because he knows he's a present. Yeah. <laughs> he's perfect. He's just a gift. It's like he's I'm giving this to you, people. Krampus yeah. Kitty. Krampus Kitty. So cute. So sweet. Um, anyway, we've been on for way too long. Yeah, we've been at this for a while. Go to the website. CrimeCulturePodcast.tumblr.com And then on there is links to the Instagram and Twitter and email at uh, CrimeCulturePod at gmail.com And email us. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you want to hear. Tell us if you got something from Jody Arias for Christmas. I bet not. But We take a bunch of suggestions on Instagram as well if you want to message us on Instagram. Yeah, slide into our DMs. We message you back like everyone. So if you message us on Instagram, we're going to Literally, if you message us, we will respond. Yeah. Somebody will respond. You want to throw a suggestion up there? You want to throw a comment up there? Just let us know. Yeah. It's... Anyway. We will respond. If you got some cool true crime shit for Christmas, then I want to hear about it because I need ideas for next year. And also your birthday's in March. March? No, it's not. May. Nope. Yep. Not March. <laughs> it, it was one of not those M1s. Not even close to March. It, Shut up. Yeah. Mm, I know when your birthday is. Shut up. I know when your birthday is. Anyway. Or if you have a uh, suggestion of where we should go on our true crime uh tour of los angeles or the los angeles yeah. area where, where do something you think that's not go? like a million miles away like we're not going to san francisco no but so i yeah. mean maybe someday maybe maybe someday maybe someday but suggest stuff for us yeah let us know what anyway. you think let us know where you want us to go let thanks us know for listening stuff all right yeah i gotta go eat I know. That's what I just I just thought of that. I was like, Haley needs <laughs> to eat. My belly's been growling. I don't know if you can hear it on the I, mic. I can't, unfortunately. All right. Anyway. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.